Welcome to the Bay Area Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to make passionate, maturing followers of Jesus from here to the nations. We hope you will be changed by this message and invite you to visit us in the greater Annapolis area. If you would like to learn more about our church and ministries, please visit our website at bayareacc.org. Well, good morning to you. If I haven't met you, my name is Greg St. Cyr. I have the joy of serving as the lead pastor. I want to welcome you if you're watching online or one of our campuses. We are in a series. It's called He Made Time. The film, that the video that you just saw is just a segment of a short film that our creative team has put together. You're going to see the whole thing on Christmas Eve. It's all designed to help us understand a little more deeply the fact that He made Time. And that's the series that we're in. Our God made time, and he made time for us. And I think when, when we stop and think about it, we'd all have to agree that time is our most precious possession, right? Time is but a mist. It's but a vapor. It's here for a little while, and then it vanishes. And God is an eternal God. The thing about our God is, according to Psalm 90, verse 2, it says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God, which is to say that he has no limits. He has no boundaries. He is absolutely eternal, which is to say that our God transcends time. He sits above time. Isaiah 46, verse 10 says that he declares the beginning from the end. So God is the one who makes time, and then he invades time. He invades time in the person of Jesus, and that's what Christmas is all about. It's hard to wrap our minds around the eternality of God, this one who transcends time. He actually sees all of time at the same time. And our God has no past and no future He never was, he never will be, he only is. He lives in an eternal present tense. That's why he refers to himself as I am, which means that you and I can be greatly encouraged because he's already lived all of our past. He's already experienced all of our future. This is our God who made time. Now, we want to ask ourselves this profound question this morning. And the question is a simple one, why? Why did he make time? 
And so I want to just give you a moment. I know how this works. I ask a question and you just sit there passively. No, that's not acceptable this morning. So I actually, we need some Jeopardy music or something, right? Because you need to engage your mind here. So ask yourself, why did he make time? All right, so just imagine some music is happening. I'm going to give you five seconds to answer this question online. You answer it as well. All right, if I had time, I'd tell you to turn to your neighbor and share your answer, but I don't have time for that. So instead, we're going to answer this question by looking at the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1, a remarkable narrative on the birth of Jesus. It's worthy to be read every Advent season. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, reads like this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph... Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, you can just imagine how Joseph would have felt. His world has been turned upside down. His betrothed is now pregnant, and he is not the father. So his dreams are absolutely shattered. An angel appears to him with the news, verse 19... And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now we just have to pause here and recognize that what is being told here about the birth of Jesus separates our faith from all other religions. Because what is being told here is that this baby has an earthly mom, but not an earthly father. That this child who is conceived in the womb of Mary, his father is God. And what that means is that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man, yet without sin. Perfect humanity, sinless, and perfect deity commingled in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now in verse 21, we find our answer to the question, why did he make time? Verse 21 reads like this, she will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, I want you to note that the angel tells Joseph, give this baby a very specific name. And the name is Jesus. Jesus is an Old Testament name. In the Old Testament, it is the name Joshua. Joshua is the mighty deliverer, the mighty savior who leads God's people into the promised land. Joshua is a type of Jesus. Not only that, but the name Jesus literally means Jehovah saves. The Lord saves. So we have in the name, it points to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Savior, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what 
Christmas is all about. Christmas is about God invading time in the person of Jesus to do something very specific to save his people from their sins. Now, we have a problem. We have a problem in our society and in our culture. And that problem is we do not understand what sin is. In our culture, we reason like this. Don't I have the right to live my own life? I mean, can't I choose whatever truth claims I want to believe and embrace in whatever values I want to embrace? I mean, as long as I'm not hurting anybody, surely I have the right to do whatever I want. It is my life. This is how we tend to reason. Now, until we grasp the nature of sin, we will never see the need for a savior. So what I want to do is help us understand first sin this morning. It's not a very popular term, is it? So let me try to communicate it as simply as I can. In the Bible, in the New Testament, there's five words that help us grasp the meaning of sin. And so let's, I have some pictures I want to show you. The first word is reflected in this sign, no trespassing. Sin is actually referred to in the Bible as trespassing. We know what trespassing is. There's a line, there's a boundary marker. You're not to go past it. And when we go past a certain boundary, then we trespass. The Bible refers to sin as trespassing. God has certain boundaries for us. They're for our good. God wants to provide and to protect us. And so he gives us certain boundaries. And you and I have crossed the boundary, a.k.a. we have sinned. That's one. Now, the second word, I want to illustrate it with this here. Does anybody know what this represents? Right? Has anybody received one of these in the mail? Right? Okay. So... Um, that is a, I did not, that is my car, by the way, just in case you wanted to know. You can see the little cross on the, the back of the car there. I did not know that the corner of Aris T. Allen and Chickapen was a, there was a photo enforced traffic light there. I did not know that. And the sad thing is, I was coming home very, very late at night, just having finished an elder board meeting. And undoubtedly, I was, I actually thought it was yellow. I thought I was blowing through a yellow light. And I had the police pulled me over. I, you know, I could have tried to negotiate my way out of it, but that didn't happen. And so I received this very citation, right? Uh, so now this actually points, this, now the check is in the mail, so it's all good. We're good. Okay, but this points to a biblical word known as lawlessness, Lawlessness. Lawlessness is the violation of a law. All right, so guilty. Have you ever been guilty? Yes, we're guilty before God of lawlessness. Okay, there's another word. This word refers to unrighteousness, and I want to depict it this way. Okay, so not that our, not that our 1040 and our IRS is unrighteous. Here's why I have that up there. It's because for so many people, there is something deep within our heart that wants to cheat on our taxes, right? We reason like this. I mean, I'm already overtaxed as it is and the government, they don't deserve more of my money. And so we want to fudge. What does unrighteousness mean? Unrighteousness is simply to do that which is not right. Anybody here 
done something that's not right, right? Okay, so that's the third word. There's another word, and it's referred to in the Bible as wickedness, and so I want to bring this up. So the word wickedness is a reference to immorality and lust. Wickedness actually looks at the state of our heart. And so the temptation to enter in a place like this, that would be a reflection of what the Bible calls wickedness, the state of immorality, lustfulness of the heart. And then there's one other final term I want to bring to your attention, and I want to illustrate it this way. This is for all the high school students out there that are feverishly prepping for their SAT. Anybody here get a 1600 on your SAT? Uh, very unlikely, right? So uh, I have this because sin means falling short of perfection. Sin means missing the mark of a certain standard, right? Missing the goal. And uh, the SAT, I won't tell you what I got on the SAT, but it wasn't all that great, right? So all of us have fallen short of God's holy standard. The Bible calls that sin. If you put all these words up here, they look like this. Trespass is stepping over a known boundary. Lawlessness is violation of a known law. Unrighteousness is not doing what is right. Wickedness refers to lust and immorality. Sin, the word sin, refers to missing the mark. All of us are swept into this net that the Bible calls sin. We're impacted by the sin of others and our sin contributes to the net of sin. Now, if you don't think you're a sinner, just let me ask you a couple of, let me illustrate or ask you a couple of questions. How do you stack up to some of, of these commands? Love your neighbor as yourself. Or how about this one? The golden rule from Matthew chapter 7. In everything, do unto others as you have them do unto you. How, how's that been going? Or how about this one? Honor your father and your mother. Ever failed at that? Or how about this one? Love your enemies. So all of us find ourselves in this verse, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. So let me ask you again. Why? Why did he make time? He made time in order to save us from our sins. The Bible actually goes to great lengths to try to illustrate sin. It gives us various images. For example, sin is wandering from the path. God has laid out a path, we've wandered. Sin is straying from the fold. We are like sheep who have gone astray. Sin is a hard heart. It's a stiff neck. Sin is referred to as blindness and deafness, you see? And all of us find ourselves under the influence of sin. Sin, my simplest definition is this. It's any attitude or any action that displeases God. So, it is any thought, any emotion, any attitude, any word, any deed that is contrary to the will of God and therefore displeasing to him. Now, we have a problem. 
And here's the problem. The problem is we don't really see our sin as that big of a deal. The problem is we have a low view of God and a low view of sin. If we had a high view of God, that would elevate our view of sin. If we saw God as a holy, just, and righteous God, a God of love and mercy and compassion, a God of justice, if we view God as an eternal God, then when we sin against God, we would tremble. We would tremble. And the reason that we see sin so in such a lowly state is two reasons. Pride and control. We are proud people and we want to be in control. Let me illustrate. Here's the citation. You cannot see. This comes in the mail a week and a half ago. I'm reading this, looking at this citation in our kitchen. Mary Kay is next to me and I'm telling her, I'm sure it was yellow. Does that look like yellow to you or is that red? It's totally red. But somehow I'm in denial, right? There's part of me that doesn't want to be wrong. That my pride wants to be in control. And so I want to excuse myself, rationalize my sin, justify it, as opposed to embracing it, confessing it, acknowledging it. And that's all of us. There's something inside us that says, you know what? I don't really deserve that. And I really am better than her. And I'm not like him. And, you know, everybody does it. That's, this is the way we think. Ultimately, sin is against God. Now, in a secondary sense, it's against those whom we've sinned against. But first and foremost, our sin is against God. A.W. Tozier writes about this. Anytime I quote Tozier, you have to engage your mind, right? Because the man is overly brilliant. And this is what Tozier says. He says this, sin has many manifestations, but its essence is one. A moral being, that's you and me, a moral being created to worship before the throne of God sits on the throne of his own selfhood and from that elevated position declares, I am. That is sin in its concentrated essence. Yet because it is natural, it appears to be good. Because it feels so natural for me to sit on the throne of my, of my own life. I put my selfhood on God's throne. I want to ask you, are you sitting this morning on the throne of your own selfhood? So we ask again, why? Why did he make time? He made time to save us from our sins. And when we're convicted of sin... There's a certain emotion that comes along with that conviction. There's a certain feeling. It is the feeling of guilt. Our sin pricks our conscience and we feel guilty. All of us are people of guilt. All of us have skeletons in the closet. All of us have done things that we regret. And guilt is like a fog 
It's like this heavy mist all around us that steals our joy. It gives us a a spirit of confusion. And because of guilt, we actually squander this one and only life, this precious time that God has given us. And guilt is a feeling of responsibility and remorse for an offense. That's what guilt is. It's a feeling of responsibility and grief and remorse for an offense. And guilt is a heavy burden, right? When you're carrying guilt, you feel overwhelmed. That's how David felt. In Psalm 38, David writes these words. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. For I am about to fall and my pain is ever with me. I am troubled by my sin. And here's the thing about guilt. It is impossible to go back in time and undo the sin that we have committed, right? If there was only some way that we could go back, but you can, how many times have you said something destructive, hurtful, and it's coming out of your mouth and you just want to like lay hold of it and somehow bring it back, but you can't, you can't. How can we be free from guilt and sin? A broken engine can't fix itself, right? Someone who is sinking in a swamp can't grab their hair and tug it upwards and somehow think they're going to get themselves out. We, we find ourselves weighed down by sin and by guilt. And there is one solution. There's one thing that we desperately need. And in a word, it is forgiveness. When we sin against someone, only that person can extend forgiveness, right? Stop and think about it. If you commit a violation, if you hurt somebody else, and then you come to me and apologize to me. I can't extend forgiveness. I'm not the person who has incurred the debt, the pain, the burden of it. You have to go to that person and they have to be the one to extend forgiveness. I remember many, many years ago, it was 1996, we were searching for a senior pastor. And at that time, I was a candidate. And someone on our leadership team came to me and they said this, Greg, you're going to be the next senior pastor. And when you're the next senior pastor, I want to serve on staff with you. This is what he says. And I didn't really know how to respond to that. I didn't want to overpromise, right? And so I, I responded, well, if that's what the Lord would have, that would be great, right? I mean, I figured that was a pretty neutral. Well, what this person heard was, Greg's got me. He's got my back. He wants me. Well, then what happened was um, I ended up pulling my name as a candidate. And when I pulled my name, I thought, okay, we're, we're out of here. We're going to be leaving shortly. And the next time I bumped into this person, I said, just trying to encourage him, I said, I'm sorry it didn't work out. I'm sorry it didn't work out for us. 
Well, then lo and behold, unbeknownst to me, I was suddenly named the senior pastor. And now I have to grapple with, is this the person to be on our staff in that role? And I was just not settled. I had to go to him and tell him no. And I had to beg, beg his forgiveness. And he was so hurt. He felt so betrayed that I'm not sure today he's been able to forgive me, right? And because of that, I carry a sense of guilt, right? Regret. I remember in uh, maybe 10 years ago, 12 years ago, we were in here. We had all of our ministry partners together and I just spontaneously decided I'm going to bring all the pastors up. I wanted to honor the pastors, brought them all up. Then I said to myself, I'm going to bring all the wives up. I started naming them, calling them. They all come up, except I forgot to bring one person up. And um, so about five minutes later, I'm giving my grand charge to the ministry partners. And there I see the love of my life out there. And she does this to me. (laughs) Oh, Lord, have mercy. Oh, oh, oh. And, you know, when you're a pastor's wife, um, you wonder deep down, is my husband more committed to the mistress of ministry than he is to me, right? And so what am I communicating? I begged, begged, begged that (laughs) night for forgiveness. Now, Mary Kay, what did she have to do? She had to absorb the pain, right? She had to release it. This is what forgiveness actually means. Forgiveness means to send away to release, to set free, to liberate. In our own terms, it would mean lay it down. And forgiveness is actually a grace because forgiveness is extended by the person who has been violated, who has been hurt. They are are bearing a burden that they did not deserve and they have to send it away, release it. Who is our sin ultimately against? Our sin is against the one who made time. And in order for God to forgive us, it means he must bear the cost. But there's a problem. And that problem is this. God is absolutely holy and he's absolutely just. Yes, he's loving, merciful, kind. He's righteous, holy, and just. God's holiness can have no contact with iniquity, trespasses, sin, transgressions. He can't. If he had contact with that, he would no longer be pure perfect and holy. And so God does something. Out of his love, he bears our sin. How does he do it? I want to give you the most straightforward verse, in my opinion, in the New Testament. It is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. And it says this, he, God, made him Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In a word, the word is substitution. That Jesus Christ, remember from the birth narrative, conceived of the Holy Spirit, perfect God, perfect man, lives a perfect life, dies on a cross 
to bear our sin, to be our substitute. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, Paul writes it this way. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Paul is saying, in the person of Jesus, we have salvation. We have redemption. How does that redemption come? It comes through his blood. Now, let me explain this. In the Hebrew mind, life is associated with the blood. Life is bound to blood. And when a person sheds their blood... That means they shed their life. To shed your blood is to die. When it says that we have redemption through his blood, it is talking about the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And it is through that that we have forgiveness of all of our trespasses. So the Lord Jesus lifted up on a cross, did the unthinkable, the sinless Christ took our sin upon himself. And because of that, during those three hours of darkness, God took your sin and my sin and placed it on the sinless Christ. He paid a price he did not owe. He bore a debt he did not deserve to pay. He did that because he loves us and because he wants a relationship with us. And he lets out a shout after the three hours of darkness. He says, it is finished. What is finished? The work of atonement. The work of his death on the cross for your sin and for my sin. We were like a bird that was caged in our sin. We are like a prisoner that is chained because of our sin. And now... We can be forgiven, set free, released, liberated. And the Bible goes to great lengths to try to help us grasp the nature of forgiveness. I think God knows we struggle with feeling forgiven. And so in Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far... Does he remove our transgressions? How far is the east from the west? Anybody? How far? Infinite. God is saying, look, your sins are infinitely separated from me. He goes on in Micah chapter 7, verse 19. You will cast their sins into the depths of the sea. In the Hebrew mind, the depths of the sea represented infinity. And then he says in Isaiah, you have cast all my sins behind your back. Does God have a back? No. <laughs> He's accommodating himself to human language to try to help us grasp. God is a spirit being. He doesn't have a back. It's as if God is saying, all of your sins, they're behind me. They're gone. In infinity, infinity past. They're out of here. That's what he's saying. So I want to ask you, why? Why did he make time? He is an eternal God who declares the beginning from the end. He fashions us, places us in time. Why? 
Time is actually a gift because what happens in the midst of time, we recognize something. We recognize I'm made for more than time. There's something deep in my heart that says it's not about all the toys that I accumulate. There's something more significant. I'm actually made in time, but made for eternity. And God puts us in time. And so as we watch the succession of time over which he transcends, but as we watch this, we recognize something. You know what we recognize? I'm a sinner. I've got all kinds of problems. And there is a God who loves me, made me, and wants an eternal relationship with me. The amazing thing is we're made in time, but we are actually made for immortality. Now, let that set in. He made you for eternity. And deep down in your heart, you know that to be true. A little child comes and says, Mommy, Daddy, where do I go after I die? Because they know there's something beyond this life, right? And the Bible actually says this. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, it says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Isn't that wonderful? That everything is beautiful in its own time. And right now, God is looking down and he's saying, it's beautiful. This is a beautiful time. And then he goes on and says, also, he has put eternity into man's heart. There is a sense deep down in our hearts that we are made for eternity. And this is why. Why did he make time? Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. One more time. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He makes time because he loves us, and he wants a relationship with us, and this relationship is to go from now to all eternity. And what I know to be true is this. And you can say this as well. I am a sinner. He is my savior. I am guilty. He offers me forgiveness. I am the problem. He is the solution. I am helpless. He is my hero. He made time. He made time for me. He made time for me. For us. Now, all this is absolutely true. But in order for it to become real in your life, you have to not only intellectually believe it, you have to place your full faith and confidence in it. About 190 years ago, there was a man named George Wilson. And George Wilson robbed a U.S. mail carrier and beat the man up. He was actually sentenced to death by hanging. Some friends of George Wilson wrote a petition to President Andrew Jackson asking for a presidential pardon. Jackson sent back a reply with an official pardon for George Wilson. But George Wilson 
rejected it. He chose not to accept it. And in choosing not to accept it, he was choosing to die. And that's what happened. Jesus Christ has given us a presidential pardon, if you will. He took on flesh, bore our sin debt, and now extends infinite forgiveness for us. That is grace. That is gift. And I want to close this morning. I want to come closer to you. Because I want to close... I just want to get down here a little bit with you. I want to close to say, this is the good news. What you've heard this morning from God's word is the best news. We're so undeserving of it. Think of it. Our grand and glorious God loves us so much that not, he not only makes us, but he invades time in the person of Jesus. And he longs for a relationship with each and every one of us. And I want to say this morning, if you are here today, it's Advent season, right? It's Advent. Advent means coming, that we celebrate the coming of Jesus. If you're here today and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, is there a better day than right now? I mean, honestly, is there a better time? Now is the time of salvation, says the Apostle Paul. And so here's what I want to do. I want all of us to stand. If you would, just if you're able to, just stand with me for a moment. And if you've never trusted Jesus, here's what I want. I want to ask you to do something audaciously bold, right? Absolutely crazy bold. I want to ask you if in your heart right now, it's pounding. And your mind is saying, I do believe. I believe this is true. I want you to take a bold step of faith. And I want you to get out of your row and come down the aisle and meet me right down here up front in front of all of these people. I know that that's a huge faith step. But I can tell you, if you do that, you'll have about 800 people clapping and shouting praises because we are for you. And so I just want to ask, if that's you this morning, come quickly. Just step out. Take a bold step of faith. You know this to be true. You don't want to spend eternity apart from Jesus. He created you in time for a relationship that was to last for immortality, for all of time, for all of eternity. Anybody come? I know the first one's always the hardest. At the 920, we had a half a dozen people come. Anybody here this morning? Anybody at all. You won't regret it. You will not regret it. Yeah, anybody? Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Amen. All right. Thank you. Amen. Awesome, man. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. What's your name? Alex. This is Alex. Anybody else? I know there's more out there. Thank you for coming, Alex. Yeah. Sadie. How are you? Thank you, dear. Thank you. Bless you. Hey, Elvis. How are you, man? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What's his name? Rex. 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 Good to have you up here, Rex. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Quickly. 
Alex, thank you for being here. Anybody else? Okay. Now, if you have never trusted in Jesus, I want to invite you just to pray a simple prayer of faith. So let's all bow our heads. And I invite you guys, as you feel led, just pray it out loud to to, to yourself. But just, um, you can just whisper it to yourself. Lord Jesus, I need you. And I acknowledge that you made time for me. And thank you that you died on the cross. And you bore my sin so that I could be absolutely forgiven. Right now, I trust you. I place my faith in you, Jesus. Come into my life. Forgive me of all my sins. And make me the kind of person you want me to be. Amen. Amen. And all God's people said amen. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Stay up, stay up here, Alex. I want to get some information from you. All right, great. Hey, Jonathan. Jonathan. Hey, Jonathan. Let's sing. Let's go ahead and sing the last chorus of In Christ Alone. And then we'll be dismissed after that. Yeah? Great. Thank you, Sadie, for Oh, man, I can't really find the key. So, I can't find the key. Anybody help me out. My hope is found. He is my life, my strength, my... This cornerstone. This cornerstone. This solid ground. Firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, depths of peace, when faith, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ, I stand, my comforter, my bless you. Okay, final words. Uh, This is what we're about as a church. And so let me encourage you, bring, invite, tell people, don't hesitate, share the good news, invite them to celebrate Christmas with us. God bless you. We'll see you next week.